Did you know you can find steep walled canyons and towering waterfalls in the middle of Illinois? We'll tell you where to find them on this episode of RV Miles. Welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 15 of the RV Miles podcast. If you want to get today's show notes, you can do so at rvmiles.com slash episode 15. And you can also keep up with RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I and our personal travels with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we are over at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On this episode, we're going to chat about Illinois' number one state park, Starved Rock State Park, one of our most favorite camping destinations for a very long time. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to talk about some tips and tricks for planning out your route when you travel. But first, let's talk about where we are. Let's not talk about where we are, Jason. (laughs) Every time Uh, you bring this up, I cringe just a little bit inside. (laughs) We're we're staying outside of... (laughs) We're just outside of uh, Chicago right now. We we stayed in the Chicago area so our boys could trick-or-treat with their friends for Halloween. They had a wonderful time, and we're really glad that we did it, and have put up with some of the tougher challenges of RV life that the last week has brought us. Well, it's cold right now. It's not that it's not terribly cold, but it's cold and rainy. And we're at a campground, the Hollywood Casino campground. (laughs) It's a a great campground. It's a great campground. In in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, It's a campground attached to a hotel attached to a casino. And it's nice, but part of the reason we came here is this time of year, campgrounds start shutting down in this area and shutting their water off if they're not shutting down. And we checked to make sure that their water would be on. Their website says water, showers, and laundry and dump station may not be available after October 31st. So, of course, we arrive here and the water has been shut off since October 15th. Yes. So... We had to make a decision, and we decided to stay and figure out some alternative ways to deal with the fact that there is not water. And you can go without water in an RV, but getting, you you know, you need to get it before you get to the campground then, and that's that's a challenge. But also, we were really counting on the laundry here, and... That's not available and and some other things. It's just a reminder that you can't trust campground websites. No, you can't. And it's also just kind of been, because I'm sure people are listening and like, okay, guys, you're without water. Big deal. But this was sort of like the cherry on top of the trying to find a campground in Illinois Sunday, because we had originally planned to go to a forest preserve of Cook County Campground. We've talked about those before in the past. They're great campgrounds. They're very new campgrounds. We yes. really like them. They're 
They're in excellent condition. They're well taken care of. That was our destination. That's where we were headed after we finished up at Starved Rock. And they have decided that they are a year-round campground when they feel like it. <laughs> you can you can call them and you <laughs> cannot get a straight answer as to which of the four campgrounds is open and when. And we called every single campground and every single campground told us, oh, we don't think we're going to be open while you're here. And then one campground went so far as to say to me, but if you would like to rent out the entire campground, we would be happy to stay open for you. And I was like, well, we really are just looking for a spot for the RV. So that was incredibly frustrating because their website says they're open year round. And yet every date we put in in the Forest Preserve of Cook County on their reservation site showed that every single site was booked. And we knew that to not be true because we had camped there before last year. Well, they have just blocked everything off. And as is the case in the state of Illinois, it's a budget issue, I'm sure. And you can't camp. So that's why we're at the casino campground. (laughs) You could probably make a reservation for two months from now, and they'll plan for you to arrive and 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 keep those dates open and try to get people. I don't know. I don't know what year round means to them, but apparently it means <laughs> Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. So we did a little bit of uh, jockeying around trying to figure things out. And we thought we had hit the jackpot with the casino campground and we lost our shirts. And this you would- like how I did that casino, that whole <laughs> casino analogy there? I really thought that one out. This would be a great <laughs> campground in in the summer season for visiting Chicago. It's it's about an hour, even less than an hour out, about 45 minutes out of yeah. downtown. And it's you, not awful. You get free breakfast every morning over in the hotel. Yeah. So that's a really great bonus. There's Wi-Fi here. I think during their peak season, they're $41 a night. Right. And so they're totally an option. Absolutely. And there's some nice benefits that come with that. It's just a little bit frustrating this time of year to just try and make camping in this area work. So we're about to wrap that up and start making our way south now that Halloween is over and we have overindulged in candy and the kids have seen their friends and we have seen ours. Yeah. So there you go. That's what we're doing. Hanging out at the (laughs) casino. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) So a new thing on the RV Miles website I want you to check out. We have started a new food column with Chef Hardcore. He's our new resident RV Miles chef. He's on the road in an RV and he's doing a column that is going to be sort of a combination of recipes, sort of how to work with ingredients, just sort of about the joys of food, reviewing road food spots, things like that. Yeah, it seems from the few articles that he has already shared with us, I think it's going to be a really exciting series. And I think it's going to be a really accessible one, too, to kind of light a fire under people to experiment with cooking on the road, but then also to just throw back to the good old, like, campground foods that we all like to make. Because one of his first sort of article recipes is breakfast. And yeah. that's a campground staple. And biscuits, bacon, sauteed biscuits, bacon, sauteed mushrooms, and eggs. Done. He can come cook breakfast for me any morning. (laughs) And he talks about, you know, how to use your RV oven and and things that are really going to help RVers on the road. So the column's called RV Epicure, and 
you can follow RV Epicure on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. So moving right along, a little bit of news. The time of year for state park reservations in a lot of states is coming up. Some of them start at the beginning of November. Some of them start at the beginning of the year. Reservations for sort of the summer season. And Michigan is is working to sort of combat the problem that we've faced a lot on the road, where state park campgrounds tend to be way overbooked with people who don't intend to use them. Yeah, everyone gets really excited when that window opens up and you think, okay, I've got to get as many dates on the calendar because as I can. Because they fill up. And, and, Abs- and rightly, rightly so. so. Yeah. yeah. So people go in and they book 10 weekends and they only plan on using three of them. And then they cancel because the cancellation fee is so cheap if there is one at all. Yeah, or, or they maybe- move them around. Or maybe they do book 10 weekends and intend to use all 10. As you get into the camping season, things come up or perhaps you decide to take a different trip somewhere else. And then those reservations, they just kind of fall to the wayside and it doesn't cost you a whole lot to cancel them. What some places are like five bucks if you don't show up. And what happens that we've seen many times is it's impossible to book a campground, especially on holiday weekends. But if you do get in one sort of last minute, you get there and you realize a third of the sites are empty. Yeah, we really got sort of tossed around over Labor Day weekend this year because it didn't really cross our minds. I think sometimes as full-timers, we sort of forget that there's these peak weekends that everyone wants to go out and camp. And we couldn't find a campground online to like save our lives and ended up, I think, just kind of showing up somewhere and lucking out. Yeah. Uh, A lot of states have a cancellation fee, which helps the problem, but a lot of them don't have a change fee to change your reservation to a, a different day. And, you know, you might feel different ways about this, but if there's no change fee, then people can book a reservation and they can just, you know, if they decide at the last minute, we're not coming in this weekend, they just call and then they change it to the next weekend or whatever it might be. And and that's part of what creates this problem. So Michigan now has a $10 cancellation fee, a $10 change your reservation fee. But on top of that, they're adding a scaled fee depending on how long you've held that reservation. So the, the highest the fee would go is 50% of your reservation. So say you have held your reservation for, you booked it more than five months out, you're going to pay 50% of each night's camping to cancel or change that that reservation. That's kind of steep. It is kind of steep, but I think the point of it being, and I hope that this is what happens, is that it will really give people pause before they book so many weekends out in advance because they know now that they have this sort of extra fee tacked on. Like, if you do book it out six months in advance and it's $25 a night and you don't show up, you're now paying $12.50 a night for a reservation that you didn't take advantage of. So I'll be curious to see how this happens or how this plays out in Michigan. But as individuals who have struggled to find campgrounds and then gotten there and seen empty campgrounds... This doesn't seem like such a bad idea so that everyone gets a, a fair shot at being able to enjoy that campground. It, it is a problem that needs addressing. And it's nice that the state parks are figuring that out and just trying different ways to, 
to do it. And we encountered this last week when we were at Starved Rock. We couldn't find a reservation. And we were looking online and looking online, and we just kept checking and checking, and finally something opened to allow us to stay for the majority of the time we wanted to be there. And then we got to the park, and the campground was never full. And granted, the weather started to shift, and I'm sure that played into a lot of people's decision whether or not to come to the campground. But it was still so frustrating to be there and have all these empty spaces and have struggled so hard just to try and find the one to know whether or not we could even go there. The weather got bad. You shouldn't be able to just move your reservation around Yeah. wherever you need it to be. That's why the reservations. Otherwise, why do we even have Right. Them? I mean, it's October in the Midwest. And, the and weather's so, going to get bad. And some of the, especially the the Illinois state parks, a lot of them have some first come, first serve sites that are never bookable which is nice so that that's, you know, if you do have to get last minute, that's never an issue. And for me, that actually solves the problem. Yeah, it solves the problem if you can arrive on a Wednesday or Thursday. But if you can't get there till Friday or Saturday because you do have a nine to five, that is a really that's a gamble. That's a gamble of a spot to try and take if you can only arrive at a campground Friday evening. And that's one of the tips that we're going to talk about when we talk about planning out your travel when we come right back. I got ahead of us. (laughs) We'll be right back. Abby, are you ready for last week's brain teaser? I sure am. Starting at sea level, a woman reached the peak of a high mountain in less than two minutes using no climbing aids whatsoever. How? And I gave you a few clues. She reached the top of the mountain entirely under her own power. Mountains are found in many different places. And she started from exactly sea level. Did you have an answer? Well, Jason... I actually do have an answer. However, we also have this answer from someone else who emailed us, and I think it's only fair that we let them answer this week's brain teaser. That's right. Joy and Mike wrote in, and they have listened to every episode. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Joy and Mike are really great. And they had the correct answer, which is the mountain was below the sea. It rose from the seabed just below the surface. She dived down from the surface of the sea, touched the top of the mountain, and then came back to the surface. Ding, 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 ding. So for writing in with the correct answer, we are going to send Joy and Mike a t-shirt from Wanderlust. It's a National Parks Junkie t-shirt. It's really cool. It is very cool. We can't wait to see them in it. So make sure you snap a pic, Joy and Mike, whichever one of you ends up wearing it. And if you happen to have the correct answer to this week's brain teaser, which we'll have at the end of the show, we may send you a prize if you email us and tell us the right answer. Yeah, I'm sure we got something around here we can send you. <laughs> Not gonna promise we're always gonna have prizes, but we're we're, yeah. we're gonna try. Don't make promises we can't keep. They might not be the greatest. They might be drawings from our kids. Yeah, but hey, you know what? Actually, those drawings are getting really solid. Those kids could be famous someday. They could. And on top of that, if you email with 
your guests, you spare me every week from having to try and come up with something on the fly because I think we all know 15 episodes in. I don't think about these after we leave the podcast. <laughs> you can email us with your answer to the brain teaser or any other questions that you might have for us to answer on the podcast at editor at rvmiles.com. So let's talk about how we plan our travel, Mr. Epperson. <laughs> let's do that. We've talked in the past about sort of how we plan our travel days and how we sort of book campgrounds. Yeah, tips and, and, and tricks for tips your travel day. But we wanted to really talk about, like, it's come up a lot recently in some of the Facebook groups and people have asked us about how we plan sort of long term. And there are a lot of different types of planners out there. Some people plan absolutely every stop and their, you know, their days might be calculated down to the hour. But we like to plan sort of, you know, imagine we're taking a two week trip, right? We're going to go from where we are now. We're going to go from Chicago to Yellowstone. Yeah, because I think it's no secret that. Often you will hear us say, oh, well, we're leaving somewhere in 36 hours and we don't know where we're going. <laughs> but if we know we're doing something that feels more like a, a vacation destination in the sense that there are going to be a lot of people there, that this is something we're really going to want to chart out as we go, like Chicago to Yellowstone and back, then we are really going to take the time needed to plan that out to ensure that it's a successful trip. And obviously, most RVers are not like us. They're not full-time. They're going to be planning a vacation. Absolutely. So um, what we mainly do for something like that is plan the major stops. We might not figure out exactly every sort of interme intermediary campground uh, or even what town we're going to stop in for some of the sort of overnight stops. We will put a list together of places that we're thinking about stopping at, but we might not sort of nail those down. But what we will do is make reservations at the major places we want to stay, especially if they're like a national park or something very popular. Yes. One of the tools that we use to sort of plan out big picture plans for our trips is a website called roadtrippers.com. And it's really handy because what you can do is put in all the different places you want to go. You just enter the names of them and it will spit back to you a road trip and the, you know, the fastest route for hitting all of those destinations. And you can rearrange the order you go to those destinations. It will tell you the entire mileage it's going to take to drive and the mileage between stops. It's going to tell you how much fuel you're going to use in dollars if you put in your your fuel mileage of your vehicle. But one of the really great things is it allows you to search along your route. So you can say, you can put in a filter for uh, 10 miles from your route and look for campgrounds or weird quirky road destinations and food stops and other things that people rate as popular or not, whether they like them, they had reviews and photos and things like that. Yeah, this is just such a fun website to be on in general. One of the nice things about it, too, is that you can save these destinations. You can go in and kind of create, like, dream trips. Maybe it's not necessarily something you're going on right now, but it's something you're planning for the future. When we were still a tent camping family and we were talking about taking a big two-week trip from Chicago to Yellowstone, we started talking about that pretty early, like, 
we were looking about a year before we were going to go. And Road Trippers was so great because we could kind of sit there and really just kind of plan it out and look at what it was going to be on our route, how much it was going to cost in gas. Things like that were such an eye opener. And then if you love to be organized, and I am an organized person on the inside who lives in a chaotic world. I love road trippers. I love being able to organize the different places we're going to. I like being able to look at other people's road trips that you can share across yeah, sort of it's that a, platform. It's a social platform. So you can you can share your your trip on social media and and your friends and family can click on it and see where you're going or give you tips and pointers and then you can see other people's trips. You can copy other people's trips and edit them for your own needs. Yeah, I think that's fun. Like when other people share sort of what their road trips have been and maybe perhaps you're all going to the same destination, but they made a few stops that you wouldn't think to stop at and they rated them or they gave you a little bit of insight and you might end up finding something off the beaten path that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. It's sort of like having a travel guide book, but like online. Yeah. And interactive. It's it's not the the... The website is fantastic. The app is not so great. Yeah, don't really use the app. The uh, as, unless you have to. Well, the app is the app is good for seeing your trip when you're out on the road. If you've made the trip already in Road Trippers, it's not great for building a trip. And it, it is good for finding cool things around you, but it, it's it's just really difficult to build a trip in the app. But it's 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 one of our favorite websites, and we've we've used it quite extensively for a long time. Yeah, and we can we continue to use it. So it does have a lot of benefits for full timers, part timers, weekend warriors, or even just dreamers. Like it's just an overall great website. What we don't use road trippers for is driving directions. No, it will spit out some driving directions for you, but we. We like to be a little bit more detailed with our driving directions and ha- have you know specific ideas of where we're going to go. Make sure we're we're not dealing with height and width clearance issues and tolls and things like that. A lot of people use RV specific GPSs, and that's one option. They're really nice because you can enter the height and weight and width of your rig, and it will try to route you away from spots where you're not going to be able to take your rig on. Um, They're not foolproof. They work for the most part, but people do have issues with them now and then. So you can't entirely count on them. We, we don't have that many problems to be honest with height. We're not super tall being in a converted school bus. We didn't, some people raised the roof in there. So we didn't raise the roof. We did not raise the roof. So, so So, we're actually under 10 feet tall uh, so that's not really it, bridges are rarely an issue for us, uh, but if that is a concern for you, there are some options. the The main option is using a paper atlas that is meant for truckers, a, a truckers road atlas. They will show you trucking routes, and trucking routes are always going to have decent clearances on them. The other option is All Stays, which is an app we we love and we've talked about many times. It shows many bridges and their clearances and and but it but it's not going to route you no it's just going to give, give you directions. destination clearances so we use google maps primarily for for our actual gps getting us from point a to point b and 
Abby's not a fan of Google Maps. No. She likes Apple Maps. No, this is where we differ. <laughs> I find Siri's voice to be much more engaging and trustworthy, and Jason prefers Google Siri. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do prefer Google Siri. The thing I like about Google Maps is that I can set up the route on the computer, and then I can send it to my phone. And you can, you know, the, Google has uh, great traffic integration, so it's going to help you avoid traffic issues and it's going to help you see traffic issues when they come up. It's going to help you get in the right lane that you need to get to before you turn. So I use it for our, our regular GPS. But even if you don't use it as a GPS, it's good to use Google Maps as just sort of an overview of your route. And they'll give you a couple different options for your route. And you can click and drag on the route to move it to one road. If you want to, there's something you want to visit on that road, you can search along your route and add stops along the way. So say say I've put in our next destination and we're heading down the road and I want to stop at a Walmart. I can use the there's an audio input and I can I can speak into the microphone, find me a Walmart along the route and it will give me two or three options of Walmarts that are, you know, right off the roadway and I just click on one and it adds it onto the route. And that's really convenient to me. It'll, yeah, because who doesn't want to know where the nearest Walmart is at all times? It'll also show you fuel and fuel prices, and, and that's that's super handy. But I also do like to have a paper atlas. I love our paper atlas. I think it's great not only for planning, but it's been nice visual with the boys, because sometimes we'll just pull the atlas out and say, like, this is where we are, this is where we're going, and they can kind of have that right in front of them. And I think it's a great tool to have. And there are pro there are times when you have problems getting cellular signal or even the GPS signal doesn't come in clear because it's overcast or raining or storming. And, and it's nice to be able to look at your paper atlas and see where to go. It's a backup to technology. You should always have a backup to technology. I actually go as far as highlighting our route in the paper atlas before we leave so that I can, if, if my phone dies with the GPS on it, or for some reason it stops working, I can just grab the Atlas and I can also already see the route that we were planning on taking. And I don't have to sort of hunt for it while I'm driving, which is, you know, obviously dangerous. And we don't have to stop and kind of, you know, gather ourselves and figure out what we're doing. And it's, it's also a really cool just sort of record of where you went. You can write in notes, you can Put, you can date the the routes as to when you traveled it. And at the end of the year, you know, you get a new paper atlas every year because they put new ones out every year. And then you have a record of all your travels from that year. And I think that's really cool. I do, too. Another tool that I really like to use for planning the route is, is a website called flattestroute.com. And it's a very, very simple, basic website that does exactly what it, what it says it does. You put in point A and point B, and it tells you the flattest route to get there within reason. You know, it's not going to route you 17 states around the Rocky Mountains, uh, but it's going to give you sort of the the flattest route of, of sort of the faster routes to get somewhere. And the thing I love about it is it also tells you what what sort of elevation changes they're going to be and how steep the hills are in, in just a nice graphical form where you can look at and see where it's going to be challenging, where it isn't, and make a decision as to whether you want to go on that route or not. We like that because 
often if the route is going to be really steep, we choose not to pull the minivan and the kids and I follow behind Jason because there is a really big difference, at least for us in the school bus, what, how fast we can go up those hills. And it sometimes is a difference of five or 10 miles per hour if we have the minivan on the back, which is like saying, Either we're going to go 30 or we're going to go 20. (laughs) So that website is great for that reason for us, because that is also a really big concern in regards to gas mileage and kind of to give us an idea, too, of what we can expect to spend in gas mileage from going from that point A to point B if we're going to be in a really steep and hilly or mountainous route. Absolutely. And finally, as Abby alluded to earlier in the podcast, Considering what days you travel on is really important, Um, especially during the the busy season, wherever you are, if that's the north in the summer or the south in the winter, it can be challenging to travel on days where you have to arrive, especially if you're arriving at a campground without a reservation on Fridays and Saturdays or on holiday weekends. You really want to consider what are going to be the best days to, to travel. If you're going through a major city, are you going to be traveling through rush hour? Are they going to have major traffic issues and things like that? So we like to travel as much as possible on Sundays and weekdays, Sunday through Wednesday, generally, because the campgrounds tend to get busy. Even if you're just planning slightly ahead, it's, it's nice to travel on those days because you often always know that you can stop somewhere unexpected on one of those days. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, for us, we also have to take into consideration our travel days where we're going, the fact that we work full-time as well. And so we also want to travel on days where we feel work might be a little bit slower. And I know that's not always going to be the case for everyone, but we have specific days where we feel like our workload is a little bit lighter. We try to travel on those days, and they just happen to be days, too, that we feel work really well for trying to get to a first-come, first-served campground. We know that our odds greatly decrease at these first-come, first-serves if we show up Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We know our odds are great if we try to show up on a Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. And that even kind of comes with booking. You know, if you want to book a campground and you can be really flexible, try to get there on Monday. And maybe you can only stay till Friday. But it is quite possible, as we talked about earlier, that you could get there. And if you keep checking and you want to stay, something will open up over the weekend. And yeah. you can. But go ahead and just take that those days you can and be flexible and travel during the week and lock those in. And then try and figure out the rest as you go. Flexibility is is just so useful because even if, you know, you might not want to travel on a day because the weather might be getting bad on that day. There's going to be thunderstorms. So you might decide we want to leave a day earlier. We want to leave a day later. So being able to be flexible in your plans a little bit and build that room into your trip can can really save you from having a frustrating vacation. Yeah, and I know that that is really impossible for weekend warriors, people who camp on the weekends. And I think in that case, taking some of the stuff we've talked about and planning your travel, well, that's just a different step. That is kind of planning a little bit further down the road. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, if that is how you plan your travel, is that you book a few months out in advance, then I can only advocate to please 
honor that reservation and go so that the rest of us who maybe are traveling at a different pace, should you not be able to take that reservation that particular weekend, get a chance to enjoy that location that you unfortunately can't make it to. The other thing I want to add is that you can't do everything. If you're planning a trip, say say we're doing that Yellowstone trip, and it's going to we have two weeks allocated for it. We're not going to be able to stop at the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and Devil's Tower and Theodore Roosevelt National Park and everything else along the way. There's just not the time to do it in. If you're if you're just constantly driving and stopping in one place and looking at something and moving, it it's just not as fruitful of a vacation as stopping for a few days somewhere. No, and that was really frustrating when we were looking at that trip a few years ago. But that is something we actually have to remind ourselves a lot as full-timers as well. That we can't do everything. We cannot go everywhere. And sometimes we just have to stay put for a while, hunker down, get some things done, and then move on. We could try to do everything, but that doesn't seem very enjoyable. You don't get to be in the moment of the thing you're doing because you're already preparing to get to the next destination. We certainly could have hit all of those spots you just talked about on that trip, but we never would have actually been somewhere long enough to appreciate it, let alone get to interact with the park. And the thing about travel is, remember, we we sort of have a rule, the, the sort of 222 rule that we try not to travel more than 200 miles, 250 or so. We try not, we try to arrive before 2 p.m. Try. Try, try really hard. I feel like try, that is the operative word there. We try, we often do not succeed at that one. <laughs> and we try to stay somewhere, and we try to stay everywhere we go two nights. And we didn't make up that rule. A lot of RVers do that rule or yeah, they have they variations like, yeah, of it. There's the 333 or the 444. But but we like to, to use that rule. But, but you also have to remember that if we're going from Chicago to Yellowstone, we could make that trip in three days. We could make that trip in a week. We could make that trip in two months. It just depends on how much time you want to allocate really feeds into what you can stop, where you can go, what you can do. If you're making that trip in three days, you're stopping at two campgrounds for an overnight and you're getting back up and driving, which people do. If you're making that trip in a week, maybe you're seeing a site or two. Really, it it just depends on how long you want to stay somewhere and what you want to, what your, what your goals for your travel are. But it, your goals can't be to see everything. In our opinion. Your goals can't be to see everything. I feel like we should throw yeah. that out there. There's a lot to see. There's a lot to, There's see, a lot to see out there. There's a lot. Yeah. Do your best to see it all, but you can't. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Starved Rock State Park in Illinois. So we spent about six days in Starved Rock State Park 
uh, over the last week. And it's a place we've been to many times. Yes, but we have never spent that long of a period no. there. We're usually there just for a couple nights and then trekking on back to Chicago. Starve Rock is, it is, like I said earlier in the episode, it is Illinois' number one state park. Uh, one of the top tourist destinations in the state. And it's it was up for consideration as a national park a while back. It's it's a really interesting place. It's about two two hours, a little bit less outside of Chicago. Yeah. So it's a great stop if you're on your way into Chicago or out of Chicago. And that probably helps it be as popular as it yeah. is because it's such a weekend camping destination for Chicagoans. It's right off of Interstate 80. So if you're making that way through the state, it's it's a really convenient stop. It's it's only a few miles. I mean, it's not even a long. There's yeah. nothing remote about it at all. It's really surprising how close it is off of the highway because it feels so incredibly remote. Yeah, but it's it's right there. Starved Rock, it's it's on the Illinois River. And what it is that it's named for a rock formation that is sort of a round tower rock that you can hike up to the top of called Starf Rock. And there used to be a French fort up the, up there on top of it back Fort St. Louis when the French occupied the area and different Indian tribes also held it for for different periods of time. Probably prior to that. And then and then after definitely that. after that they did as well. But to me, Starved Rock is sort of just a name. That's not the main attraction. I could actually just skip going up Starved Rock if if I went there again, to be honest. Yeah, I think that that particular hike, because it's right off of the visitor center, is kind of like a one and done if you're a repeat visitor. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You should go and do it if you have never been to the area before. But when you return, there are certainly so many other hikes that you could bypass that one. So what Starved Rock is really interesting for is canyons. There are like 10 or 12 canyons. And when I say canyons, these are obviously not like massive. You're not going to the Grand Canyon, everybody. The Grand Canyon. Okay. These are intimate canyons. <laughs> yeah. They're very intimate They're canyons, canyons. built by streams. It's, it's sandstone all around. And there you go in on these hikes and one mile hike, you might see three canyons that have waterfalls running in them if it's been wet recently. Those streams aren't always running if there's been a dry spell. Uh, in the winter, they freeze over. And they're towering and beautiful, and you're you're inside them. And They're surprising, too, because a lot of these hikes, you'll be going along, everything's really flat around you, beautiful forest scenery, and then you'll just kind of go around a bend, and you're like, boom, whoa. Yeah. Everything changes, and you're inside this canyon, it's really kind of like amazing how quickly the terrain changes in this area. Yeah, just outside of the park, the the entrance to the park is flanked by two cornfields. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like perfectly flat. And yeah. then this whole valley area that just dips and dives with all these It's canyons. so it's secret. Really cool. It just kind of hides itself in and among farmland. <laughs> and there are only there are only 12 miles of tw- trails in Starved Rock and you can if you hike all these trails, you just see so many different canyons and and pieces of scenery that are just these big, stunning, huge rock walls. Yeah, and some of these trails are even boardwalk trails. 
So most of them are. You're on boardwalks or you're on on stairs, and there are a lot of stairs. Yeah, just keep that in <laughs> mind. If you want to go down to the bottom of the canyon, you're gonna have to come back up, and most of the time, that is going to be a very steep flight of stairs that just does not stop. Yeah, sometimes you can just walk along the bluff trail and look down into the canyon and not go, you know, and not have it to take the stairs all the way down. But where's the fun in that? But it's so nice to go down and to go in and be near the little waterfall. Yeah, we really had some sort of like breathtaking moments while we were there. And we tried to do our best to capture some of these in photos. I don't know that you really can do justice to this area, but if you're interested in kind of getting a visual, definitely go over to the Our Wandering Family Instagram page because we did share a lot of our hiking and a lot of what we were seeing while we were there. Yeah, the sort of intimacy of the canyons, again, makes it hard to take a photo because they're it, they're just so tall, and but there's, yeah. but but you're enclosed in them, and there's you have to have a super wide angle lens if you want to get it all. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, we did several trails while we were there and our kids kept pace with us almost the entire time. I would say halfway to two thirds through these trails, Henry, our youngest, would end up in the ergo on my back. But that's to be expected. And so the trails, I think, are very accessible to all different kinds of hikers And I think each trail kind of offers a little bit for, you know, a very casual hiker, but also for a hiking enthusiast who wants a little bit more of a challenge. And there were a few trails for this time of year that I think kind of got washed out a little bit that we didn't get to finish. We weren't quite equipped on particular days. If we'd been wearing rain boots, we probably could have kept going. So that's something to kind of keep in mind, too, when you're on these trails is that they do really interact with the changing scenery and the changing landscape, depending on the time of year that you do choose to come to Starved Rock, you're never going to see the same thing twice. You know, we railed a little bit on Illinois State Parks in the last episode from rightly so from some of the issues that rightly we've so. had. But Starved Rock, they really they do put the money into it. it. The visitor center is really well done. It's got a nice small sort of introductory museum. Yeah, it's a nice visitor center with the Starved Rock Lodge kind of attached to it. I mean, they're kind it, of on the same the, property. Well, they're go up, up the, this, yes. Up a long set of up. stairs up there. But there's a it's really cool old lodge where you can stay and have sort of the bed and breakfast experience. Yeah, if you want so to Starved well. Rock does cater to those who want to camp, tent, RV, uh, large group camping. But then they also have those who want to interact with the natural environment around them from the comfort of their hotel room. So you have that kind of aspect, as well as some of the surrounding towns in Starved Rock have their own bed and breakfasts and wineries and, you know, local restaurants. And so there is some opportunity to not only be into the park and interacting with the park, but then you can kind of go out and check out some of these smaller communities around there that do kind of benefit strongly from the tourism that happens at Starved Rock because Starved Rock is incredibly popular. If you go there on the summer, in the summer, you will go with like thousands of your closest friends. So that is also something to keep in mind. This is one of those parks that when the window to RSVP opens up, those reservations, they're gone. They are booked. You don't get a spot in the summer on a whim. The Visitor Center has a little 
sort of a counter service cafe. They've got sort of pizza and pretzels. There's fudge. A, there's a gift fudge, of course, <laughs> ice cream. Ice cream. There's a gift shop that is that's decent. Uh, and then the lodge has a sit-down restaurant, so you can actually have full meals on the lodge overlooking Starved Rock. Which they is also neat. have a bar. They're mm-hmm. like a little lounge, and I think that there's also a coffee shop in the lodge as well. So there's a lot of different options for you to chill out and get a little something to eat or drink. Other things to do at Starved Rock. It, it's one of the best spots in the state for eagle watching if you're willing to go in the January, February time period. Well, you can stay at the lodge. <laughs> the, the eagles really love it around there. There's private boat tours. You can get out on a boat and go up and down the river. Across the river from the state park is the, on the Lock and Dam, there's a Lock and Dam right there, is the Illinois River Visitor Center. And you can go there and you can see the Lock and Dam in operation, but then you can also get a really good view of Star Rock, which is kind of cool to have. But really, it, it is all about the hiking and the short hikes. And I think a lot of people out there really don't like going on the five mile hikes, you know, but you can go, it's it's more like going out for a walk and yeah, you can everybody... really see the scenery. Everybody really loves the uh, St. Louis Canyon hike because I think it's about half a mile yeah. in and then you're there. So that is always an incredibly popular parking lot. Something that was new to us that was surprising and sort of upsetting that we've missed it so many times. Almost is... <laughs> embarrassing that it's new to us, right? There's another state park right next to Starved Rock. It's, it's like less than a mile away and it's called Mathiasen State Park. And we've there's two halves to it. We visited the the Dells area. It's almost more beautiful. I would say it actually is more beautiful than Starved Rock. That particular portion that we hiked was definitely like blue Starved Rock out of the water. I mean that the Dells and down into that canyon and the way they have those trails laid out, it's the trails feel really primitive. I mean, you're going over these stones. Like that are concrete co- stepping stones that are really cool. Like you can, yeah. the kids love to hop over those and oh, yeah. across and the stream. It's not that you're, and you're not hopping over just like a little inch of water. I mean, the kids were hopping and I was waiting for someone to hop the like wrong a, way. Uh, like a foot of running water. Yes. Yeah. And then be like, okay, well now your pants are soaked up to like, you know, your calves. So there is definitely that kind of experience within that space and i just yeah. thought that that was really cool i but i had no idea that there was a spot like matthias no. in illinois where you could be that deep inside a canyon and looking up at maybe i don't know seven eight story high yeah, walls you looked at me like when we first walked in there because again we had no idea what we were going to see and so it was a complete like total shock and you looked at me and you were like are we in the state of Illinois still? And I could not actually confirm that. <laughs> I was not sure. <laughs> Mathiasen is a little bit more akin to some of the other state parks in the fact yeah. that it is a little bit run down. It is not manned. It's not really taken care of very well. There, you know, we never saw a park employee or anything. We did not. There's it, no visitor center. The trails definitely need a little bit of TLC. Things like chain link fences and railings that are leaning over at a 45 degree angle you know graffiti and oh the graffiti 
Well, you know, it's sandstone everywhere, and people love to carve their names into the sandstone, which I is really I don't care if there was a marker left there saying, please write on me. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. I but- don't care if Brooke loves Tony. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> and no one else either does, Brooke. <laughs> and, and, and you're not going to love Tony in 10 years anyway. Yeah, where is Tony? <laughs> Can I talk to him, please? But it's it's really well worth going to Mathiasen State Park, even more than Starved Rock, honestly, yeah. in my opinion. You can't camp there. But you can pop over. It's a really short drive. Well, it's just as close to the Starved Rock campground as Starved yeah, Rock is. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Starved Rock campground. But don't go looking for like Mathiasen State Park campground. No, you know, there you're not going to find it. The the Starved Rock campground is a little bit separate from the state park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a short drive into the park, but it's it's short. There are two loops to the campground. One is the one on the right is. Is wooded and all offers the sites, some primitive sites, uh, I believe. It'll, it'll offers a lot of privacy, and the one on the left is a lot more wide open, and the sites have more room and are longer, and you don't have to worry about your length as much. And it's a little bit the the website's a little weird. Uh, the The sites are going to have site lengths, and then they're going to have vehicle length limits. So, and and that was apparently it's just something that's wrong on the website because the lady, when we checked in, had to put in a fake length for us because the sites will say they're 45 feet long, but you can only have a 30-foot vehicle in it. And we're 37 foot, so she had to lie and say we're 30 foot to make our reservation, uh, as we did when we reserved advance online. So there's some weird things like that. So we kind of had to look at Google Maps, Google Earth, and and see the sites to see, oh, there's a giant field behind this site. We're not going to have an issue parking here. Yeah, or look at that giant Class A in that right. spot on Google Earth that's only supposed to be for a 30-length rig. Like, I think we're going to be okay. But we kind of avoided the wooded side because we were concerned that there might be an issue because we really couldn't see it from Google Earth and know if we'd be able but we would have been able to fit in a lot of those yeah and that was a bummer too because that's the side that has the playground it does both sides have matching bathhouses that are very basic but they're think 1996 (laughs) they're flush they're flush toilets and they they have showers that work but there are also then pit toilets scattered throughout, which... Those are the last-ditch effort if you really need something. That's they're not like saying. a nice bathroom with a pit toilet in it. They are like outhouses with a hole in them I think they built and a an, toilet seat. I think they built an outhouse around a Johnny on the spot. <laughs> yeah, pretty, well, on the, on the wooded... You didn't see this, but on the wooded side, they actually had porta-potties over there, which I would have felt more comfortable going into <laughs> than the pit toilets, to be honest. Well, you... I don't even know... I can't comment on the fact that you even went into one because I stayed far away from them. But but anywho. it's but it, the campground is it's nice. Uh, you're you're only going to get electric at your sites, and there are water stations spread around, and there's a dump station at the front of the park. So once you are at Starved Rock and you've kind of explored the area and you want to explore outside, there are a couple towns to check out. There is North Utica, or as most know it. Utica. Utica is on the sort of west side of the park. Yes. And And then there's Ottawa. And Ottawa is a little bit further on the east side of the park. Ottawa is nice because Ottawa is a little bit bigger. Yes. Uh, And it's sort of a quaint downtown 
with uh, there was a site of one of the Lincoln Douglas debates there. Yeah, and there's a cool kind of mural there and a little bit of information about that. But the reason to visit Ottawa, at least if you are an Epperson, is that there is the pizza place in Ottawa called Bianchi's or Bianchi's. We're not quite certain. So (laughs) in all the years we've been going, we never asked. We just call it the pizza place. It's really good. And they're cash only. So you got to take that into consideration. But we love going there just for we've we've actually stopped in Ottawa just on trips on I-80 just to go there. (laughs) Just to eat their pizza. They are so popular in that area that they actually have three locations. We recommend the restaurant location, which is in the little downtown area. But as you guys might know at this point, pizza recommendations, we got you. We're always going to give you a pizza recommendation. Always. I cannot tell you if the wineries there are decent because I don't ever really get to go do that with three kids in tow. But I can tell you where a solid thin crust cheese pizza can be found and you'll find it there at Bianchi's. So we really hope that if you're in the area, you'll check out Starved Rock State Park and Mathiasen State Park as well. You know, state parks are, there's no reason that state parks are any lesser than national parks. Some state parks are better than some national parks out there, especially in some of the, you know, some states like California and Texas have some stunning state parks. I look forward to exploring more of those southern state parks. When it's where, <laughs> where it's a little bit warmer. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you caught on to where I was going with that. So you got a brain teaser for us? I do. You ready? I am. Yes. All right. An evil king has locked a wizard in a dungeon with nothing but a chair and a shovel. There is a window in the dungeon, but it's too high to reach using the chair. The dungeon is surrounded by a cement parking lot that stretches 100 feet in every direction. The wizard uses the shovel to dig a 50-foot-long tunnel and still manages to escape. How does he do it? And it has nothing to do with magic because he's a wizard. (laughs) Well, I will not give my answer (laughs) because I want someone else to write in and give the answer for us. (laughs) So if you know the answer, send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com and we may... Mention your name on the show and maybe even send you a prize. So there you have it. That's this week's podcast. Hey, if you could really help us out a bit, we'd love a rating or a review on iTunes. You know, the new Apple Podcasts app, which came out with the new iOS software, is a little difficult for newer podcasters like us. Very difficult. If you have updated, then you have an option to search. And if you were to search something like RV, it would give you eight options. No more, no less. And if you're not in those eight options, like the majority of the podcasts are, you will not be found. You will not be seen. Yeah, it's a problem for all podcasts. And actually, they give you four search results, and then you click see more, and you get to see four more search results. So it's it's a problem. If people type in RV looking for us, they're not going to see us right now. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure like what the thought process was behind that, but it does, as someone who is an avid podcast listener and also has a podcast, it feels a little frustrating to know that my options are being limited. And so 
We come to you today at the end of episode 15 to ask that if you are enjoying this podcast, that if you would just kindly share us around your social media circles, we would really appreciate it. It would help put us in front of a few more people and help kind of grow our numbers. You can also do that, as Jason asked earlier, by leaving a five-star rating and a review as well. So thank you to those who have already done this for us. Thank you to those who continue to listen. It's really amazing to know that there's so many of you out there every week who are interested in some of the topics that we have to share. And I don't know, Jason, what else can we say? (laughs) We can say keep logging those RV miles. Oh, and we'll see you next time. That was sneaky. (laughs) Nice outro, hun. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.